Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rowing Chat. I'm Rebecca Caro, and Rowing Chat, of course, is the podcast network for people who enjoy the sport of rowing. We've now got five separate shows on the network. Please take a look and subscribe. If you're an audio listener, you'll find Rowing Chat in all of the popular podcast apps. If you're a video listener, of course, we're on YouTube. And we also have our own website, rowing.chat. And there you can subscribe to receive a notification once a week of all of the shows that have broadcast in that week. So you can just pick and choose the ones that you want to listen to. Now, I'd like to start with a quick mention for our sponsors. Our first sponsor is Faster Masters Rowing. They do training programs online every month. It's a new subscription coaching service for masters. And Marlene Royal has been coaching masters for decades. She understands the needs of masters and has created these monthly downloadable training plans, which come in six separate modules. So you can get land training, you get peak performance tips, you get technique videos, a training program, evidently, rowing lifestyle advice, and also a bonus module. Now, I know Marlene well, and I have been complicit in helping her to develop this. And we're really enjoying how a program for an individual, if it's just you, you can buy it for your crew, or you can buy it for your entire club training group. We also offer a magazine subscription, which is the all of the articles without the training program for people who do have a coach and do have their own training program. And so obviously don't need a second one. You can find it on fastermastersrowing.com. And our second sponsor this month is a tripod mount for GoPro or video cameras that goes onto the stern deck of your boat. The clever engineers at Or Inspired have made it really easy for you to video your crew. It's a brilliant design. The tripod has suction cup feet and it has vertical mount adjustment so that you can have a higher or a lower position for the camera relative to the crew and obviously it'll go on either the bow or the stern canvas it has a lanyard so that you can tie it on should you have any nervousness about it disconnecting and you can get yourself a discount coupon if you're a rowing chat fan by following the link at rowing.chat forward slash sponsors you'll see a mention there of or inspired uh, and they do two different designs one for small boats, singles and doubles, and one for larger boats, eights and quads. Now, on to my guest this week, John Wick. John, welcome to your first rowing chat. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Now, Great. tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background in rowing. Well, Rebecca, before we get to me, I think we need to take a bit of time with your audience and give them a little bit of a taste of what Coastal rowing is all about. Now, I know that you have in your video library right there a little bit of video on that Basque rowing competition. Can we roll that just for a bit to get some of our uh, audience enthused? For sure.
John, I want to be that girl in the pink. He's got her hands up in triumph. I think that video demonstrates very clearly some of the things that we look at in coastal rowing. And those are great big bass boats, and uh, they certainly are much larger than the FISA class boats that we're going to be talking about in this uh, video broadcast. But it certainly demonstrates some of the problems and some of the concerns and some of the challenges that the rowers who go out in the coastal environment have to face. Not only knowing rowing technique and how to manage a boat and an oar, but also getting out there and watching that tide, watching the waves, watching the wind, being able to use the tide to your advantage. You saw in that video that some of those great big boats were actually surfing down the waves. And that's the mechanism that we use in coastal rowing to get ahead of the competition. So there's an awful lot in that little video with the great big boats that we don't necessarily do in the smaller boats in FISA because those are big, heavy boats, but we have a great time with the wind, the tide, the conditions on the water, and the condition of the athlete as well. So getting back to your question, let me tell your audience a little bit about myself. I started rowing back in the 1970s. I started rowing out of Potomac Boat Club in uh, DC. I uh, worked with uh, Charlie Butts, the senior, way back then, learned how to repair boats mostly. I was never a very successful rower. I, I really was not a sweep oarsman at all. I stuck, I stuck uh, completely with the, uh, the single, and I enjoyed it. But we're going to fast forward from there probably to uh, 2006 and 2007, when I was on the board of directors of the uh, Delaware Museum of Natural History and uh, recognized that we were not getting a lot of attendance from middle school children. I began to ask myself why, and I realized that unlike when I was growing up, kids today don't learn about natural history by looking at stuffed animals in the museum. They go online. And I thought, all right, well, we'll let's build an online virtual program to introduce kids to the cultural history and natural history in the area around Delaware. And that's primarily the Delmarva Peninsula, which extends down uh, toward the Atlantic Ocean and then comes up along the Chesapeake Bay. So we put uh, four and a half months worth of uh, programming together. We got all of the videos up and running and ready to educate these young middle schoolers. And I realized I didn't have a hook. I needed something to engage those kids. I had been a professor over at the University of Delaware. And so I worked with the electrical engineering department and said, can you cobble together a computer for me? that I could put on a small boat that I could row around the Delmarva Peninsula and be able to broadcast back to kids in the classroom and talk with them about the cultural history, the natural history, and the biologic history of the peninsula. They looked at me like I was crazy, but we did it. We put together that waterproof computer, and sure enough, we uh, spent uh, about four and a half months rowing. I was out on the water mostly on my own. Uh, went down the Delaware River, down Delaware Bay, out into the Atlantic Ocean, all the way down to Norfolk, Virginia, and then all the way back up the Chesapeake Bay and through the C&D Canal, back to my home in Newcastle, Delaware. From that experience, we were able to uh, gain a lot of interest in the sport of rowing, particularly with young kids. And Rebecca, I saw you just brought up that uh, little video. If you'd like to show that, go ahead. Let's hit it. First, though, it is a feat only attempted by accomplished athletes, but for a Delaware man, well, it was an odyssey of a lifetime. This is a great story, too, all to help spark interest in the scenery and ecosystems of the Delmarva Peninsula. 
John Wick rode some 384 miles around the entire Delmarva Peninsula, starting and ending in Newcastle, Delaware. NBC 10's Tim Furlong is live now along the water tonight. Tim. Renee, John Wick is on the board of the Delaware Museum of Natural History, and he wanted to come up with a new interactive exhibit that sort of lets kids at home and kids at the museum actually kind of follow the progress of something that teaches them a little bit more about their environment. So we got a boat, he got some more, and he started rowing, and he rowed and rowed and rowed for months. What a trip. Oh. The voyage ended quietly here on Wednesday. John Wick got a kiss from his wife. That smooch, his prize after a 384-mile row down and up around the Delmarva Peninsula. I'm very happy to be off the water, and yet I'm a little bit sad. The trip began back in the middle of May. John would row for a few days at a time, then come back home to work for a few days, then get right back on the water where he left off. I'm almost at the end of today's row. The, uh... With only a GPS and a camcorder on this small Adirondack rowboat, he glided over glassy water. He passed big ships in rougher waters. It's choppy out here today. All along the way, he videotaped small segments. Hooray! We made the Chesapeake Bay! Through an interactive website, kids could check his progress. John's friend cuts all the videos so the kids can see for themselves what it's like along the peninsula. From all the stuff they'd expect to see to all the stuff most kids have probably never seen. You can see behind me a fishing weir. But while John did all this for the kids and for the museum, he now sort of thinks maybe he got the most out of this trip. All the amazing mornings and beautiful spots, all the amazing people who greeted him when he came ashore each night. The trip was wonderful. I met a lot of wonderful people and I had a lot of really great experiences and I'll miss those. John says it gets pretty lonely out there, but he says it was a great experience, and he thinks it'll be even better once all the kids start coming to the Delaware Museum of Natural History to check out the interactive exhibit. Guys, very cool exhibit at a very cool museum. Everybody should check it out. Yes, they really? should. Yeah, good story, too. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. There we go. So we go. that was on the news how many years ago? Well, that was in 2006, 2007, I believe. Yeah, so quite some time ago. You could tell I was a much younger man. You had blonde hair. That was sea salt. <laughs> that was sea salt and a good tan. That's what happens when you spend too much time out in the sun. <laughs> and, of course, that interactive exhibit is still at the museum. Uh, parts of it are. Some of it has been taken down. That actually led to a talking circuit for me. There were many people who followed that and asked me to come in and describe some of the experiences. And, you know, that's what coastal rowing is all about. It's not just the racing. It's the experiences that you have on the water as you go from port to port, town to town, meeting individuals along the way who have wonderful stories to tell. On uh, that particular trip, I met fishermen, I met crabber, professional crabbers. Uh, there were just a host of people and all of them were very interesting, all had great stories. It's a really good trip for me. And as uh, Tim Furlong said, I think I got more out of it than the kids did. But beyond that, after the talking circuit, we go on to um, boat clubs in my area that suddenly called me up and said, would you consider sitting on our board of directors? And so I got back into the sport of flat water rowing or what we like to call fine boat rowing very heavily. And uh, from that, I uh, was asked to actually start a boat club for a, a very competitive group of kids. Those kids went on, and we formed about uh, 96 kids in a year for a very competitive club that uh, went on to do some national championships. They went to the head of the Charles that year, so that was a very successful operation. 
And from there, I got a call from the CEO of U.S. Rowing asking if I would come up to U.S. Rowing and begin to work with them. Uh, U.S. Rowing started out as my uh, taking on the uh, entire referee corps and working as kind of a manager to help put the referee corps back into order. They had never had a director of referee programming. And I continued to do that for about six years or so. And then when our new program of safe sport came into the United States, because of some of the misconduct issues that have been going on in all of the Olympic sports, uh, I volunteered to step away from the concept of uh, working with the referee corps. And I went directly into the uh, uh, area of safe sport and began to put together policies for U.S. rolling on safe sport, working with our athletes and working with uh, our board of directors to make sure that all of the U.S. rolling athletes were protected from sexual misconduct, emotional misconduct, physical misconduct, bullying, harassment, hazing. Now, along the way, my CEO recognized how draining that can be on any individual. And he came back to me and he said, hey, we need to get back involved with coastal rowing again. Would you consider taking on some additional roles and working on coastal rowing? And I was thrilled to do so. So we put together a complete package again on coastal rowing. Great stuff. So obviously coastal is now your particular focus. And let's go back and talk a bit for people who've never done coastal rowing. Maybe they've seen a couple of videos like the ones we just showed. Let Give us a bit of context, John. What is coastal rowing as a training format? Well, coastal differs from fine boat rowing or flat water rowing in that uh, in addition to understanding technique and being very proficient at technique, the athlete needs to understand navigation. They understand they need to understand how tide, wind, and current might impact the direction of their boat. And they also need to understand the concept of using waves as a, an asset to racing. That is, you can surf the wave and you can gain a position by surfing the wave. If you miss, you can broach the wave and flip over. That's a different problem. But uh, generally, uh, surfing a wave will give you a, a great advantage. So coastal rowing is a little bit more than just the technique of going through the repetitive um, concept of, of uh, catch, stroke, release, catch, stroke, release. It's catch, stroke, and release uh, compounded with waves on two sides of the boat that may be of different heights. So your oars aren't going to be together. It's compounded by the wind that's blowing against your bow, causing you to have to continuously correct, and not just in one direction, but continuously correct uh, in the direction you're trying to make the boat travel. And then also the, uh, the currents that are going to be doing the same thing, as well as the waves. In addition, uh, unlike flat boat or fine boat rowing, uh, we're not racing down a designated lane. We're basically racing down an open waterway, boats are allowed to touch oars, boats are allowed to crash into each other, and it happens frequently. It makes the sport extremely exciting. Uh, I've described this to some folks as NASCAR on the water. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's go into the sort of boats, because obviously with all those waves, you can't be in fine boats. Fine boats, as you know, um, if we take a single as a good example to, to begin to do some comparisons with. A uh, fine boat single is maybe 27 feet long, maybe 11 inches wide uh, under the wash box. 
um, they weigh uh, 14 kilo. Uh, if we begin to contrast that with um, uh, a coastal single, a coastal single is about 19 and a half feet long, about six meters. Uh, they weigh 35 kilos, so they're much heavier and uh, they're much wider across. They're about uh, three quarters of a meter across. So it's a heavier, stabler boat, um, which provides an advantage actually for some clubs that are involved with fine boat rowing in that they can use these boats for training. It's much easier to get out in a very stable platform, almost like the old wherries that we used to use back in the day. Uh, you can get into a, a coastal boat and row it pretty easily. They're also exceptionally good for adaptive rowing programs. Yeah. Because they provide that really stable platform that the adaptive rower really needs as they get started. Now, of course, adaptive rowers are just athletes like the rest of us, and they will progress and they will get to the point where they're tired of rowing down a, a regular race course in a, in a wide boat. They're going to want to go to a narrower boat with or without pontoons. That's, uh, that's up to Pisa at this point. Yeah, we use we use those for, um, ocean going. We actually have one which is a single or a double, and we use it for our adult beginners. Okay. Um, if we go on, go on up to the uh, the other boats in the coastal class, we really have three boats that we look at primarily. There's the C1X, that's the coastal single. There's the C2X, uh, and then there is the C4X. The C4X is a cox boat. There is a coxswain involved. Um, some of the other things that make these boats a little bit different is that they are all equipped with a throwing line, which must be close enough to one of the athletes so that they can grab it and throw it to a powerboat in the event they need to get towed out. Mm -hmm. uh, they also uh, require that every athlete on board have a life jacket. They don't, the athletes don't necessarily have to wear the life jackets, but they must be on board the boat. Mm -hmm. And coxswains in the Cox 4 must wear their life jacket. Yeah. The, the Cox 4, the coxswain sits in the back and they sit upright. They don't sit down hunched in the bow of the boat as, in the bow, as they would in the bow boat. So pretty common or garden safety. The oars are the same as we use. With similar, similar. You can start a, a, a coastal racing boat using a, a normal set of oars. However... Uh, what we found in the coastal racing world is that shorter oars tend to be a little bit better. Huh. Uh, I've done some work with uh, Greg Doyle from Croker Oars, and we've actually taken the time to, uh, to put uh, different types of oars on some of these boats. And we've experimented with length and we've experimented a little bit with the weight of oars. And we're finding in this instance that heavier oars tend to be a little bit better because these boats are a little bit heavier. Yeah, oar gives you a little bit of an advantage. The other thing that we're finding is that the shorter oar allows for a little bit more comfort and control in a wavy environment. So if you have, remember, we're out in the open ocean or we're, we're out in open water, and you may have a wave on the, the starboard side of the boat and a trough on the port side of the boat. So your hands, unlike in a fine boat, are really never one atop of the other. That's exactly right. They're they're way above each other. Because of that, there are some of the uh, uh, competitors in Europe will use an open hand row where they do not cross their hands at all, or keep their oars yeah. separated, which leads again to a shorter oar. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And when you are in that exact situation, John, so we're going to imagine you've got the trough of an oar on one uh, of a wave on one side and the peak on the other. 
Do you feel for when the aura's gone in the water so you, like, don't do an airstroke? Yes, you do. Go on. How do you do it? How do you just do it? You wait for the aura to drop. That's just like everything else. When you go to the catch, you wait for the aura to drop. And, and then you drop it in. And the, the problem is that uh, you can get an aura in the water, and, of course, then that wave can ride up on you. If you've got a, a wave coming in from the beam, it's going to ride right up over that oar. So you may put it in at the top of the wave and it may bury itself, or you may put it at the top of the wave and you might suddenly find that there's no water on the other side. <laughs> it's I, uh, a challenge and it adds, it adds to the excitement and the challenge of this sport, which makes it so much fun. Yeah, I'm but, so sure. So the other thing we try and do with coastal rowing, which is a little bit different than uh, fine boat rowing, is that we, we are trying to encourage uh, spectators. Um, unlike uh, fine boat rowing where you're racing down a 2,000 meter course, uh, we try and get the spectators on the beach and we try and design some of these courses so that the spectators have a good view of what's happening to the athletes uh, throughout the race. Now, uh, of course, when you start talking about a 4 or an 8K race, it can get a little bit difficult to see what's happening way out uh, on, in the water. Uh, but from the beach, folks can, uh, you know, using drones and using other technology, we're able to get folks out onto the water so they can watch some of this. And the, the spectator side of it becomes really important, much like other extreme sports. Spectators enjoy seeing mayhem. And in the case of Coastal Rowing, we have some mayhem. Boats crash into each other, a uh, worse clash, and that's okay. Uh, some of the trickiest things to do are to round a buoy, unlike flat water rowing, where you're going straight down a course. Mm. Uh, as you row a, a, a coastal race, you're going to have to leave from the beach. You're going to, or if, it, if it's a beach start and finish, uh, you can also do a water start finish, but you're going to leave from the starting area. You're going to row out to a buoy. You're going to round that buoy, and then you're going to row to another buoy and round that, much like sailboat regards. Like a triangle, yeah. It could be a triangle, it could be a rectangle, it, it could oh. be a, an M-shaped course, it could be any number of different shapes. And as you round those buoys, you can imagine the chaos that can occur. If you've got three or six or eight boats all heading to that buoy at the same time, um, who's going to get to the buoy first? Who has right-of-way? And there are certain rules that uh, we have to enforce that deal with right-of-way, one of which is uh, uh, unlike fine boat rowing in a, in a head race, for example, um, as a boat is overtaking another boat, as it gets within one boat length, it is considered to have the right-of-way. Even when you're behind? If you're behind and you're rowing up on another boat and you come within one boat length, they have the right away. Now, what does that mean? That simply means that the boat ahead of you is not allowed to move to block you. They have to maintain their course, and you, as the overtaking boat, actually have to pick a course that gets you around that other boat. But they're not allowed to move and block you. They have to maintain their course. But they don't have to move out of the way. Nope. They they actually maintain their course, and you have to get around them. Except. When you begin to round a buoy, then it, then it begins to become a little bit different because as you round a buoy, the boat that you are overtaking is required to give you enough leeway to get between them and the buoy if you are okay. in the overtaking position. So, you, so you can they, they need to move out of the way and allow you to get through the buoy. 
So there are different rules with this. There aren't very many rules with coastal logging, but there are rules. And of course, that requires a group of trained officials. Yep. So we're working in the United States right now to train up a group of officials that can deal with coastal logging in the United States. FISA, of course, has been doing this for years. Um, uh, we are using the FISA rules heavily for a couple of the routes that we're putting on the United States right now. And I was privileged to talk a year or so ago with Gwyn Batten, who has been starting the beach sprints format for rowing, for ocean rowing, uh, because, as she points out, nearly every country has a place where you can get to a piece of water from a beach or a, a sandy point. And the requirement, as you say, to race around buoys or buoys rather than having straight lane courses means there are many, many more venues become possible. Now, I'm intrigued by what is a beach start. Tell us how that works. Well, I have to tell you, Gwen is on to something. Gwen's great in, in putting all of this together. She's very clever. And uh, from the spectator point of view, it's going to explode the sport of coastal rowing because spectators can stand and watch from the shoreline the start. A beach sprint is simply where you put uh, two flags on, on the sand and a line between them. And one person from the crew, if it's a single, it's the, obviously the athlete. If it's a double, it's one of the athletes. And if it's a, uh, the Cox quad, it's going to be one of those athletes. It could even, even be the coxswain. One of those athletes has to stand behind that line. The official drops the flag. And at that point in time, those athletes have to run down to the boats. The boats are held along the shoreline. The crews are not allowed to enter the boat until such time as the flag drops. Hmm. Once the flag drops, they can begin to board the boat. The last person in normally is going to be the runner. The runner then jumps into the boat and the boat literally takes off from the beach. For the uh, single, you normally have a, a handler who will hold your boat for you on the beach. The double, it can be a handler or it can be uh, a handler plus the crew member. And in the four, it's usually the crew members that would hold the boat. It does present some very interesting problems. And one of which is if you have the wrong shape of your shoreline, your skegs can get stuck in the sand. So we have to be careful that the boats are far enough off the beach so that the skegs don't get stuck and broken off. But at the same time, they have to be close enough in so that the athletes can splash through the water without going up to the waist and can still board the boat. It's a challenge to watch, and it's great fun. They then The athletes then race the course. Mm -hmm. uh, normally, uh, FISA would, likes to see a, um, about 1,000 meters before the first turn greater than 45 degrees. They normally like to see that. So we, we try and do that as best we can. Sometimes that's difficult in some of these small bay areas, but we try and do that. But that keeps everybody close enough in so that the spectators can watch exactly how the field is beginning to deploy. And you can have six, eight, 10, 16 boats in one of these things starting out. It's just great fun to watch on the beach. So then they race the course. And then the other side of the uh, beach start is the beach finish, of course where the boats come crashing back into the beach, bow first, bow on. One runner has to get out of the boat and run back up through the start-finish line. Now, we're, we're putting this together down at uh, the Sarasota Coastal event that we're going to be holding uh, in the United States from 
uh, November the 20th through the 24th. And uh, that's going to be a beach start and finish. Uh, we're very excited about that particular event. And we're actually going to be using uh, chips for that event. Where we'll, we're going to be putting computer chips on the athletes so that we'll be able to tell when they start and when they finish uh, using chip technology. We're also going to uh, be trying to build in um, some things that really I haven't seen too often in coastal rolling down in Sarasota. And that is we're going to be doing some uh, age classification and age handicaps. Right. Really make the whole sport a little bit more interesting to some of those master's athletes that are out there. I just don't want to race a 20-year-old. <laughs> have some sympathy for that point of view. Now, let's talk a little bit about that event. But do you provide the boats or does someone have to have a boat or oars to compete? One of the biggest challenges we've had in the United States uh, in developing coastal rowing, and, uh, I, I actually started a program in coastal rowing uh, about five years ago in Pensacola. We actually ran the first coastal event in Pensacola five years ago. It was a small event, and we had the same problem then that, that we began to have a, roughly a year and a half ago when we started to develop coastal rowing in the United States again. And that is equipment. There were very few FISA-class coastal boats in the United States. And so what we needed to do was to work with the uh, various manufacturers. And there are several of them out there. There's Eurodiffusion, there's Swift, uh, and there's Lightboat. And we began to work with those manufacturers to try and identify where equipment might be and how we could bring it to some of these different regattas. I have to say the manufacturers have been very, very enthusiastic about working with us. Uh, we're really pleased. Also, the ore manufacturers have helped out uh, tremendously with this. Uh, Greg Doyle and, and uh, Croker Ores has been just great to work with. Uh, Jim Henderson at Lightboat's been great. Charles House out, out of Eurodiffusion in Canada has been great to work with. And uh, um, uh, Brian George has been great out of uh, Swift to work with. So we've got, we've got the manufacturers working with us. And that's a key part of this sport. Without the boats, we can't do FISA class racing. And we're trying to make sure that we have those boats available for lease at these different events. At the Sarasota event, we'll actually have a fleet of boats. We've already arranged to have them down there. There will be four quads for rent. There will be uh, six, single, uh, six doubles for rent and eight singles for rent. Uh, we, we're hoping that we'll get a couple of more from some of the other manufacturers. Those will primarily be light boats. That's brilliant, John, because... Back in the day, I used to do a little bit of what we call traditional boat rowing in the UK, which are wooden clinker built um, singles and doubles, which are interestingly, even the single is coxed um, and it's a fixed seat. They call it skiffing. And if you join a skiff club, the regatta always provides the boats. The rowers turn up just with their oars and the way it works is that whenever they buy a new boat, they don't buy one, they always buy two. So that you always have a matched pair of boats of identical age. So it evens out the competition. You may be rowing in a 20-year-old boat, and many of them are much older than that, but at least you're a however you look at it. And I think we used to call it committee boat races, where the committee you put on the regatta provide the boats. And I have to say that I think it's a great thing to bring back into the sport, not just actually for coastal, but for, for flatboat racing as well. Well, there's another very exciting part of this that I, I am just thrilled about. Uh, about five years ago, when I started getting involved with coastal with U.S. rowing, 
I had a discussion with the CEO and I said, you know, we really need to come up with something that I was describing back then as the race in a box. The race in a box consists of a 44 foot long trailer, box trailer, like a the kind yeah. of container, yeah. yeah, a container trailer, and uh, something to haul it around with, a big truck to haul it around with. And you fill the box with enough coastal boats that you can actually hold a regatta. And actually, Jim Henderson, the fellow down in Sarasota, has gone out and he has acquired a 44-foot container. And we are outfitting that container to hold two quads, four doubles, and eight singles. And some buoys. And the buoys and an engine and a uh, small launch to set the course up with and enough knowledgeable people to put on a regatta. A couple of articles, a couple of... uh, folks of that type. And the idea is that this, this unit will be available for clubs around the United States who want to hold a coastal event. And the trailer will be taken to their site. The race will be set up. The instructions will be given. There will be some learn to row coastal. The boats yeah. will be put out on the water. You get to race quads, doubles, and singles just uh, as a normal visa race and using all the appropriate equipment. Regatta in a box. I am so excited to see this actually happening at this point in time. It's uh, It's been a dream of mine to, to watch that happen. And, you know, it just makes sense, much like the races that you described, where the committee was putting together similar boats. In this instance, the committee has the opportunity to bring in the boats that are all similar, plus the experienced individuals to set the course and actually race the course. That's fantastic. And you could do that on a river, could you, or a lake? It doesn't have to be the ocean. Uh, No, you don't have to be in the open ocean. And in fact, in some instances, the open ocean is not the right place to hold a coastal regatta. That may seem like an, you know, sort of the wrong way to go. But if you think about a wave break, say, on the Jersey coast, the coast of New Jersey, uh, that wave break at times can be two feet, three feet. And while many individuals who are adept at coastal rowing can handle that kind of wave break, most individuals who are just getting into the sport will find it very difficult, will broach in the wave, will flip the boat, normally an oar will get broken, and their experience will not be good. Yeah. So right now we're trying to avoid races that have big wave breaks like that. We're trying to set races up that uh, we can start from a bay side and then row out through an inlet so that we can get out into the open water, the rougher water, through an inlet without having to focus on or, or worry about big wave breaks. Um, Two-foot wave break begins to, be get, to get difficult. Three-foot is almost impossible. Bigger than that, forget. It's just not going to happen. The that- Pensacola event is a perfect example of that. When we were down in uh, Florida for Pensacola, uh, the first day of the event was a practice session And uh, my deputy, I was the chief referee for that event, and my deputy and I walked from the parking lot to the beach. And in the length of time it took us to get to where the boats were at the edge of the beach, we watched four boats roll in the surf with only a three-foot wave break. We watched two oars get broken, and these were novices. And I said to the deputy at that point, we're canceling this event on the, this was the Gulf of Mexico. We're canceling it on the Gulf. We're going to move this because of the, uh, level of athlete that we had, we're going to move this to the bay side. We mm. did. It was very successful. The the event, everybody had a great time. 
So you were in the estuary, protected from yeah. the ocean, but it was it's still deep. deep water. There was deep water with heavy wind and tide and currents. And you still mm. have that on the bay sides of, of most of the, the estuary side. Mm. It's like the Delaware River or Delaware Bay, Chesapeake Bay. You get very heavy water. To get back to your question, though, specifically, um, you can certainly row these boats on great big open lakes. They do have races on open lakes. It's a very common thing to do. Uh, one of the FISA world classes, were, uh, world events, was held on a big open lake. Um, I know that the, the Canadians uh, often uh, have a race on some very, very large bodies of water up in Canada. We've had a lot of interest from the folks in uh, the middle of the United States uh, on the Great Lakes, uh, particularly some folks out of Chicago who are interested in putting oh. some events in, uh, on yeah. uh, the lakes right there, like Michigan. And I've actually uh, toured Lake Michigan. I took a trip up along the edge of Lake Michigan to see just exactly how uh, rough it could be and whether or not this was reasonable. And when I saw surfers on Lake Michigan, I realized that, yeah, this would work. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's so good. So go. I, I do know that um, the uh, FISA has always does a, a coastal tour every year. And... Um, I was going to show you a couple of uh, images here because the last, the most recent tour was in New Zealand oh. and it was done with, let me just show you, Fisa's very smart. They bring the boats to the event and then they leave them there so that the event organisers have equipment for the future of the sport. So this is in the Marlborough Sounds, which is in the top of the South Island in New Zealand. So here you've got a quad with the cocks, and just as you described, sitting up, there's their little seat. So they're sitting up high, wearing her life jacket, like the good lady that she is. And then there's a couple of other pictures. Here we go, a little bit more chop here, different coxswain, different crew. And rowing in, you can see that's the, uh, in the distance there, that's the um, ferry that goes to Wellington to Picton, which is between the two islands in New Zealand. And obviously here's the settlement. And then this was all from Kevin Strickland. Here's another one also featuring the ferry um, where they're obviously heading out to sea now um, on the same coastal tour. And there you go, little Australian flag there. Welcome to the Australians. <laughs> um, so I thought that might be a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fun. Well, I, I like those uh, pictures because they do, in fact, depict uh, some of the very important features of coastal boats, and that is uh, safety is paramount, life jackets are required, and a throwing line is required. And it's pretty obvious as to why we do that. The other thing that those pictures depict is uh, that the back end of the boats are open. The transoms are open, much like a racing, uh, a ocean racing sailboat. And it's done that way so that when water comes into the boat, it has a place to go and it goes rolling out the back. Goes out again. That's good. Yeah, there you go. Um, there's a very new design coming out by uh, Ben Booth, who I, I know you've spoken with Ben before. Ben is up in the Massachusetts area and Ben is working with a partner of his up there on a design that actually has a closed stern, but it has side cutouts in the stern that the water will be allowed to run out. So it's a, uh, the idea is it's going to give a different flotation uh, concept for the back of the boat. It's not going to allow quite as much water in the back. It's something different. So we're, I, I guess the point of that is that we're looking at new designs, even in coastal. Yeah, new developments, which is great. Absolutely. And, you know, it's very exciting to watch all of that happen. We're looking at new ore designs. Uh, you know, I've, I know that uh, 
Some of the folks are, are coming up with orders that are cut off on the bottom a little bit to give you a little bit of a different feel, to work with wave and chop a little bit differently. So I, I recommend folks keep a close eye on the technology because this stuff is going to change. Another design change that I'm hearing about, and I know one of the boat manufacturers is working on this, is that instead of having a concave track for your seat tracks, it's convex. So instead of curving down, it curves up. And the wheel. I've heard convex. this too. And, and apparently it's, it's much better in terms of wear, less likely to get stuck. And what's the other advantage? Well, think about it. If we're going to be doing beach start and finishes, you're going to get sand in the tracks. And if you have a convex track, the sand is going to stay in there, but a concave track, the sand will wash out as quickly as the first wave comes in. So I, folks are getting very, very innovative with these boats. And I think it's great to watch the technology develop. Uh, it's, it's really fun. All sport is just uh, turning the sport of rowing a bit on its head. And that is it's so good. I think it's fun. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, people have compared it to uh, uh, mountain biking versus traditional Tour de France biking, or they've compared it to uh, snowboarding as compared to traditional skiing. Uh, it's like open water swimming compared with swimming in a swimming pool. There you go. Yeah, exactly. More challenges that uh, the athletes have to watch for, more excitement for the spectator. And I think it's going to really change our sport. I think it's going to bring a lot more people. Maybe we'll see that huge group of folks standing on the beach watching these, these athletes as they challenge the waves and the wind and the tide. Really, really exciting, John. Now, let's move on to talking about how people could get involved, get started with Coastal. So right. we'll get some people listening who obviously can already do fine boat rowing. So obviously they've already checked the box with regards to learning technique. But let's go right down to basics. How can you get involved? Uh, it's in the United States, it's really pretty simple. Um, you can do a couple of things. One, contact U.S. Rowing in the U.S. and say, hey, are there some coastal rowing groups around that I could get involved with? Uh, we have a listing right now of enough people that we could put the folks in touch with them and they could get out and row. We have groups in uh, San Francisco who are very active. We have groups up in Seattle who are very active. We have groups in uh, the Chicago area who are active. Uh, of course, New England and Boston, there are a number of races that are going on up there, as well as in Florida down in the southeast. Um, but one of the simplest things to do is just get online, uh, find a manufacturer or a manufacturer's rep, call them up, talk with them, ask them if they have a boat that you can uh, buy or if there's a boat around that you could try. There are a lot of learn to row programs out there. They could probably put you in touch not only with uh, a club, but they can also put you in touch with U.S. Rowing. And, get you involved with the sport that way. Um, as far as equipment cost, you're going to spend about the same amount for a new uh, coastal rowing boat as you might on a fine boat. Um, mm -hmm. Not cheap, um, but it's a bit heavier boat, new technology, or of course are the same cost. And uh, although uh, the, the style of oar that you might want to use, you might also want to talk to one of your oar dealers about to make sure you get something that's suitable for a coastal boat. And Anything else people, obviously you're going to encourage everyone to do this. Um, what else might someone? <laughs> this is my passion. I, I love coastal rowing. I think it's, uh, you know, a refreshing change from some of the, uh, some of the other aspects of our sport. 
that doesn't mean that the other aspects of our sport should go away. I think the traditional rowing is something that we need to keep in place. We should keep in place. There are a lot of college programs that have developed around coastal or around flat water rowing and fine boat rowing. And those athletes have worked hard to gain those spots and they're going to continue and they should continue. Um, but this is just another aspect of a, a really great sport, very interesting sport that gives uh, everyone an opportunity, not just to race in a different fashion with a different set of challenges, but to get out and enjoy nature, enjoy the ecosystems, do some touring, uh, do some recreational rowing, uh, you know, get your, uh, your partner and uh, go for a row down to uh, the local pub um, island and, uh, or pub next town over. Why not go row to the next town and get a, get a, Point in the pub and have some fun and then turn around and go back. Sure. It's a sport that allows you to do that. And, you know, in, in fact, in Florida, I, I spend a lot of time down in the Sarasota area. I have watched a couple of fellows who, uh, now that I've been down there often enough, I see them rowing into the same restaurants fairly frequently. And they'll, they'll come from their home, row to a restaurant, sit down, have lunch, have a pint, get back in their boat and row home again. And why not? It's, it's, recreation it's exercise it's enjoying the environment it's a sport that we can all just embrace and love i certainly notice when i teach them my learn to row class that the look of fun in the faces of the people who have just done a tiny little circle they've maybe been 200 meters away from the shore turned around and come back and they've seen what the shore looks like from the middle of the lake. They aren't even nearly close to the middle of the lake, but it feels like it. They've got there under their own steam, effectively, and successfully turn around and come back. And the sense of achievement is really, really palpable. Absolutely. I, I uh, achieved an event over on the Jersey Shore, um, and it was supposed to be a combined coastal event so that some folks could get a chance to row coastal boats. And then there were... It's a, an annual flatwater event as well. And it's on one of the back bays in New Jersey. And uh, the day that the event was to occur, the wind was just howling. The rain was coming down in buckets. And of course, we had to cancel the fine boat racing. And everybody was very dejected and they were all ready to go home. And I said, wait, we have a couple of coastal doubles here. Why don't you all pair up and we're going to take these coastal doubles out. We're going to put together a simple 500 meter out and back course. And we're going to just let you row under these conditions around a little 500 meter course, 250 meters up, 250 meters back. Very simple, very safe, except the wind was howling and the rain was coming down and the waves were crazy. These were masters. Mm -hmm. They had more fun rowing these boats in the rain and the wind. And I'm, I believe they still talk about it. Afterwards, we had a little party for everybody, a little celebration party. And the grins on people's faces were just amazing. They loved it. It was something different, something fun, something that was challenging. And they all had a good time. Was it a real race? No. Was it fun? Absolutely. And that's what the sport should be all about. John, you are a great advocate for coastal rowing, for rowing in general. And um, 
sure that US Rowing is so grateful that you are one of the people who are leading these sorts of innovations and encouraging local rowers, local clubs to get involved. Please tell our listeners where they can connect with you if they want to find out more. I am happy to talk with any of your listeners anytime. I recognize there are time differences, though, in the United States, please. <laughs> uh, they can connect with me easily by uh, using my email address. It's john, J-O-H-N, dot, wick, W-I-K, at usrowing.org. We're an org, not a com. usrowing.org. They can connect to me through that. Uh, if they are local and the, along the uh, east coast of the United States and they want to give me a call, they can certainly do that as well. So uh, my number is plus one, three zero two, three eight three nine nine two three. And if you are in the mid-Atlantic area and you want to stop by, come on down to Newcastle, Delaware. Love to see you. Fantastic. What a great invitation. And obviously, I hope that lots of people take you up on it. Now, we welcome comments and suggestions for new episodes of Rowing Chat. If you fancy hosting a show for yourself, please get in touch. Our website is rowing.chat. You can get in touch through the website. You can get all of our past episodes there. Please follow us on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Rebecca Caro, or one word. And we also have a Facebook page for Rowing Chat and an Instagram feed. Subscribe to help us write a review, tell your friends. We want more people to know about rowing and we want to share more rowing stories. So till next time, goodbye. <laughs>